Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, the author of I Fight for a Living and We'll Win the Day. And if there was a drum roll, we'd do a drum roll to upcoming book. A Great Black Hope about Doug Williams and Vince Evans and the making of the black quarterback. Be on the lookout for that. Maybe fall 2024. So I am pumped. I'm Derek White, uh, author of The Challenge of Blackness, the Institute of Black World and Politics of the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat and Tears, Jake Gate, the Florida A&M and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Congratulations. <laughs> Not even welcome back. Congratulations. Let me just let me let me just open this this this. This episode up with a shout out to to my co-host here who has officially uh, going to have a Barnes and Noble book. Um, uh, congrats on getting, you know, the contract and the whole process, man. We are we here at the Black Athlete Podcast and all your fans out there in the we say X. I don't really know. That seems weird on Twitter. Uh, and then your colleagues out here are really, really super stoked to see this work come to life, but congratulations, good brother. Ah, oh, man, I appreciate it. And thank you. Cause you, you picked up my, your, uh, your phone for three years straight to listen to me about the project and, and, and complain and worry and talk me through a lot of things. So, so I appreciate, you, you know, your, your open ear, um, and, and your wisdom. So it's not it been exciting. I'm just asking, do I get a cut? I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, you, 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 you like, yeah, I got you, three kids. You already, you already <laughs> get a cut. We will win the day. Like, <laughs> I got. Can I get a cut? Up. We won the day. I think your I, cut. Of we will win the day as big as my cut. So, like, we're good. Well, we, well, then we need to stop talking about this new book. And let's talk about this old book. Let's see. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I'm excited. I hope. I just wanted to be at one. Uh, it doesn't have to be at every airport in America. It doesn't have to be at every Barnes and Noble. Just outside of Grand Rapids, just one time, so I could go somewhere and just Wait, you know, you, take a little picture, sign it. I don't know. Are you gonna do your Jamel Hill, where you just go through the airports and sign your copies of your books. Let oh, that's all I'm it. gonna do. I'm just gonna use all my miles just to to find my book. That's it. <laughs> Taking fall semester off. Oh man! So this is a fantastic. You know, it's good news. I'm so excited. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this comments by CJ Stroud. And then as you are an expert of uh, black quarterbacks and I am an expert on uh, black college sports, uh, we needed to call it an expert about uh, carceral studies. And so we had to call our good friend, Carl Sutherland on the, on the pod, who is now yes. almost a regular, we don't have to make him a coach. Regular. If, like, if we bring him one more time, we got to start cutting him in on the, on the uh, intro. Have to cut him in on it. We'd have to re- do a new intro. That's the problem. Right? So. <laughs> We just bring him in every time. Carcel Carl, who is, who by the way is an expert on this stuff. So we, we had to have him on the pod once we heard CJ Stroud talk about um, his father and dealing with the prison system. So, but welcome, Carl. No, welcome, thank you. Carl. Hey, so let me echo Derek real quick. Congrats, Lou. I, I, I was on the I was on the end of some of them phone calls as well. I remember sitting outside the coffee shop hearing Lou talk. You know, wait to pick up his kids and. And just vent for a little bit about some of these writing struggles. Um, and so, I mean, people who know, you know, the book writing world know that these things don't come up overnight, that these things are always years in the making. Um, you know, way to stay with it. Happy to see this thing. And uh, we're going to at least get you down to Atlanta. Don't worry. I'll make sure, you know, we can at least get you down to Atlanta one time. Try to 
have you meet Dominique or something. Uh, That's we'll make it, it happen. Man. Yeah, give me. Hey, you got to give me on that documentary. Yeah, Carl, don't, yeah. don't set the bar too high. I'm like, wow. go to I'm like I, ain't got, I ain't got no Dominique, yo. Come hang out. We get bourbon, though. We got bourbon. Dominique. <laughs> Dominique. And, and for those of you guys know, don't know, if you receive a phone call from me at two times, either I'm picking up my kids or I'm walking my dog. And then, <laughs> that, is, that is, that is, so you getting a call somewhere between two and three and then between six and seven. Like, my life doesn't change much. So. <laughs> Um, before we head into and uh, talk about CJ Strouds, I think interesting and fascinating comments. I think, you know, a lot's happened. Uh, we, we cannot do another episode on Dion, but I will say, uh, good luck, just Colorado. <laughs> good luck. He's good, gone. Good. Michigan. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah. we got the scandal in Michigan. I don't know what's going to happen in your home, your, your home state, Lou. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's out here cheating. He's like the SEC. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I love it. Uh, and so we're getting full-fledged. I didn't know how to read that yet, so we're going to come back to that. Yeah. If there's some, can, some can I just say on, on the Michigan thing, like my belief is like nobody thought that was cheating until it came out. Like we, I think we all assumed. Like first of all, I think 90% of us didn't know colleges were using not using like a headphone system. Like this is crazy. But then – I didn't think that like, going buying a ticket and then watching the other team was cheating, and all of a sudden it's, I guess yeah. it's cheating. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's it is it, it is in the uh, rule it, is, it, it is in when you get into the coaching thing that is not allowed, um, and so you know yeah. the regular fan wouldn't know that, right? Unless they're like deep in the woods, um, but yeah, that's just no in person scouting. You get the tapes, and that's part of the the pro the, the process. Um, and then, look, before we go further, let's talk about these Raiders real quick. Uh, Josh McDaniels got fired last week. I mean, look, Mark Davis is the owner of the Raiders. I don't know what he's doing. But he hired Antonio Pierce, who is, I think, a quintessential kind of coach for the Raiders. Lou, can you give us a little bit of this background history on the Raiders and, and their black coaches? Because I think this, I think it's an important part of it. And then, Archell, done. No. <laughs> God bless you. Good night. Uh, Archell, and what's his name? Who's at Grambling right now? Um, Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackson, right? Yeah. But our, yeah, yeah, the Raiders are, I think they're always a maverick organization, right? Uh, whether it's drafting Elgin Dickey in 68 or signing Archell as the first black court coach in 89 and then just this i think this situation here right going through three coaches and actually have to pay three at the same time but also having um a black woman as their president and also a black gm who is not champ bailey but champ but kelly champ kelly, champ kelly the other <laughs> champ um um and i think that's that's who they are and then you know i like pierce because he's an la guy and and he's probably the first one of the first coaches in the history who said they grew up listening to NWA, right? And, and rocking the, <laughs> the Raiders, the LA Raiders hat, right? Like yeah. he is total. And I think he comes, like, I don't, I'm not a car guy, but it looked like some type of uh, classic Impala or some type of that, right? Yeah. Where he comes to the games and that, right? So he is, he's a guy who, my guess, back in the 80s, early 90s, you would have said, this guy's never going to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Raiders or any professional football organization, right? They just don't allow black linebackers to be head coaches i think um what's his name mike singletary because he's like the greatest ever but yeah. i can't can you think of a black oh demico ryan is now yeah. right other but other than that there's just well, those, but singletary and ryan's are very different styles than what pierce is a dude who played on the edge right like there's a dude who constantly 
you know, not just in terms of like leadership, but like his personality and persona was very much on the edge of what we would not necessarily think would translate into um, coaching. But I do think this is great for the organization. Sandra Douglas, who's the uh, the president of the organization as a black woman. Uh, you know, I will say this. I think I said this on the podcast, like, I don't know how many years ago when we first started, and we talked about Cap in one of those early episodes. And I said that the, that when Cap didn't have a job, the team that should have done should have signed him was the Raiders because they had they the Raiders should have always leaned into this Maverick organization. Okay. Plus, can you imagine how many jerseys the Raiders would have sold like like right. they would have probably sold three, four million dollars worth of jerseys like just on GP because the Raiders already are number one or two in apparel sales anyways on a regular. And you can imagine with that kind of energy. Um, and so this is a, you know, I think this hire and this, as uh, Antonio Pierce put them in, they were smoking cigars after the first victory. Um, I think it's, it's going to be an interesting, um, you know, team to watch going forward for the rest of the season to see if this is just a one week thing or if they can manage to put together some wins, because I do think the, the NFL is much better I think as a product, when you got Mavericks, when you got the Raiders being the Raiders, right? I think that, you know, win or lose, you kind of need the Cowboys to try to, you know, achieve that America's team status. But that that Raiders Maverick kind of identity has been gone for a very long time. And now they're in Vegas. And I think that's actually just let's let's let them lean into it, man, and see what happens. I think that's a great opportunity. So that's something for us to watch. Right. And go sign cap or trade for Justin Fields. Um, real quick, one one more point before we move on to 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 CJ Stroud, another black quarterback who's now quickly becoming my favorite, Josh Dobbs. <laughs> a literal, it's such a great story, right? Like I, I've tweeted about this this week. Like he's a rocket scientist, right? And and to me, that's so important because for all these years, the reason why you don't have black quarterbacks is because they said they were not smart enough <laughs> to play the position. And here you have this rocket scientist playing the position. And, and and to me, it brings up this this Josh Dobbs career brings up this one guy um that I work I wrote about a bit, Johnny Walton, just a little bit. A lot of it's getting edited out. But one of the things he says in 1969, he's you know, he goes to Elizabeth City State or college, and then he signs with the Rams. Um, and then he's playing like minor league ball, and he says, Look, I'll be as good as they let me be, right? And and this is like to me, that's the story, part of the story of the black quarterback. And that's the story of Josh Dobbs, right? I'll be as good as they let me be, right? He's moving from team to team to team, and nobody, right, really settles in, lets him settle in. Because he can't settle in, you never really see him succeed. Mm-hmm. But you, when you get a chance to see him play, Tennessee, like, to go to the playoffs last year, he was there for, like, a couple weeks, right? And then he gets traded. He he's on the Browns gets traded and then a week later he's in Arizona and he's starting and he yeah. beats the Cowboys at one point and they're competitive almost every game. And then with no practice, with no reps, he goes into Minnesota, backs up a black quarterback, the first ever black quarterback at BYU and the 18th black quarterback to start this year and then wins the game. Right. Yeah. And to me, it's just a tremendous, tremendous thing, right. About somebody who could do this. And, and the fact that now we're in a, a, a time where you do have these black quarterbacks like a Josh Dobbs that can go from team to team and be really in there to be that backup, uh, which before that was really a privilege for white quarterbacks, right? Unless you're Vince Evans, go check out the book. Um, <laughs> I mean, no. well, you think about it, I know I joke about it, but from 87 to 94, 
Vince Evans were on and off on the Raiders and was just primarily the third street backup, only getting yeah. to start like four times. And he's the first that they allow that to happen with, and very few. But now you got like a Tyrod Taylor, a Josh Johnson, and Josh Jobs just looks like he's going to be that career backup, which is an awesome job. Or you Charlie can go Bat- to Mars. That's, a, that's right. the Charlie Batch Award. That's what yeah. you call yeah. it, right? Like right. that's the right. dude who was like, yo, I've, I've been working for a long time as a like a good locker room dude. You can yeah. trust him with tr- tr- trust him as the backup quarterback. Um, yeah, no, that's a great story. I think what I think what you're hitting at and what you're really getting at is that we're at a moment in NFL history where being a black quarterback, um, you do not have there's an expectation put on all quarterbacks, but this black quarterbacks, if they don't fulfill those expectations, they get to be a backup. That's usually not the purview of uh, for black quarterbacks. That's very recent. Um, and the second part is that his intelligence allows, will allow him in some ways to sounds like a career like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, who really treaded his whole career on being, you know, league average when he played, um, the more he played, the worse he got because teams figured him out, but they always liked him and he was seen as smart because he was a Harvard guy. Right. right and so he right. gets to carry that, you know, that energy and that, that idea, that identity going forward. And so they're like, look, Hey. He's not going to be a starter, but he'll be a he can win us a week or two or three and keep us in if we're trying to fight for the playoffs until the starter gets back, right? Right. Um, and I think Josh Dobbs, <laughs> right? And so Josh Dobbs is clearly, you know, Ed, you know, carving out that space, a similar kind of space. Obviously, he would like to play. Uh, we had Geno Smith in that space until he gets to Seattle, and he had a, a a very fantastic year last year. So I think, you know, we're we're starting to see a lot of breakthroughs, even though this is the year twenty twenty three. We're seeing some black quarterback breakthroughs. I think that that's great to look forward to. Um, so Lou, remind the the listener to what happened. What did CJ Stroud? Who is CJ Stroud? What's his story? Carl, no, actually, let's bring Carl in because first yeah. of all, before we say that, let's just say CJ Stroud's a top five quarterback. I'm just I'm done. I've seen enough. Ohio State. I've seen uh, I've seen enough, and uh, you know. But but go ahead, Carl. Tell us this is why we bring in the leading expert on on, on sports and, and the Carcel State, Carl like Sudler. Yes, sir. Oh yeah, I like that. I like that one though. Um, no, I, so so when I saw this story, so real quick for listeners because I feel like it was covered but not covered. Like I feel like we saw the story because we're invested in the world, but a lot of people really didn't see the story for whatever reason. Um, so after C.J. Stroud just shattered the rookie record right for like a single game um, this past week, he in the post game conference, he decided to use his platform to speak about the ills of the criminal justice system. And a part of why he did that was because his dad has been incarcerated um, for a good portion of his life. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially more recently. And I'll, we'll talk about, you know, his dad's story here in a little bit. Um, but, but at the podium, he got up there and he said, and this is a direct quote, he said, our criminal justice system isn't right. And it's something that I need to probably be a little more vocal about because what he, and he was the, he here, he was referring to as his father, what he's going through is not right. He called me this week and we got a bit to talk and I'm praying for this situation and reform and the people with reform are helping me a bit. But I think just letting it be known that it's not just my dad's situation, but the whole criminal justice system is corrupt. Um, he goes on to make some remarks about, you know, seeing prisons that have rats and roaches and things like that. Uh, and he says that he wanted to shine a light on this really quick. Uh, and I couldn't be more proud. Right. Like the last quarterback we saw openly take this stance. Right. You, you know, Derek was just saying the Raiders should have signed uh, a couple years back, right? Uh, 
And so, you know, so so I'm always excited to see athletes kind of use their platform in this way, even if it is just to kind of raise awareness. Uh, but, but some folks, for right or for wrong, jumped on the comments, right? I think one of the first people I saw retweet the, you know, criminal justice system is corrupt quote was, you know, Fox News, right? And, you know, of course, they're going to jump on this. You have a young black quarterback and CJ kind of talking about it, but they just don't know the context. I know we're here to kind of talk a little bit about the context behind why CJ is kind of the right person at the right time to shed light on this conversation. And it really is like the three of us, like our world's coming together, right? I mean, you know, we have a black quarterback talking about the Carson State who went to Ohio State. What? This is all three I mean, of this, us. This it's is required it. a pod. This is why we need a three-man weave for this, right? <laughs> this is what this is. No, so, I, yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, C.J. Stroud had a, a miraculous day because I had him on my fan, one of my fantasy teams, and it was – I looked up, and he had 40-some-odd points, and I was like, what happened? Um but as a rookie, that's amazing. He's been, you know, a very good quarterback this entire season. Um, but to to have that, you know, tremendous day and then to talk about the prison system as being corrupt, I think is a an interesting time, right, to do so. And I think it's the ideal time, right? Like it's a moment in which he knew that the eyes were on him. And you talked a little bit about his personal story, right, that he, uh, his father most recently went to jail when he was 13 years old. Um, he was accused, uh, he had fallen into substance abuse and committed a, uh, crime in which he was trying to, uh, steal a car more or less is basically what we determined, right. To, to get to a place to buy drugs. Right. Um, and I mean, this is a tragic set of circumstances that, you know, drug abuse and drug addiction is plaguing our nation in all kinds of ways. This is a very common story. Um, but he had had a legacy, a history of coming up in in in, in Southern California, uh, in which he was in and out of the jail system in the early '90s, and he had been sober and clean for more than 20 years. Uh, and personal issues sent him into a relapse, right? And this relapse uh, led to this crime. And what happened was, what, what Carl explained to what to the 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 situation after his arrest. Yeah. So, so ultimately, C.J. Stroud's father was victim right and so cj so we were talking about this a little bit but right so cj's name his father's his namesake right um i think cj's the fourth if i'm remembering right off the top or the third okay but uh but yeah so so cj's father uh fell victim of the three strikes law right which is still on the books in states like california that is when you commit three serious or violent felony act uh when you have three serious or violent felony convictions uh you face ultimately a life sentence right minimum term is often 20 right around 25 years but you're ultimately going to get 25 to life on that third strike offense um and so so cj Stroud's father was a victim of a third strike law here in this uh moment right in his most recent arrest that you had described derek but I mean, what's kind of frustrating about it, and, and and again, you know, didn't do a super deep dive into exactly what happened. This is just coming off of, you know, reading some of the articles that covered, one, the arrest, but also kind of covered it in relation to, to where CJ is kind of coming from and understanding his dad's experience in the system, um, is that, you know, his father accepted a plea deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. And... On the on this last offense, right, and we also know that both of his 
previous arrests happened actually before three strikes laws uh, or the three strike legislation actually hits the books in 94 in California. Um, and so there's all kinds of like weird wiggle room in CJ Stroud's dad's situation. Um, you know, and so, so to get back to kind of the fact that he accepted the plea deal, we know that most people, right, this is something that I'm always preaching to my students in class, right? They're just like, oh, you know, we read the news, crime is up. And I'm like, hey, we can't measure crime. Let's, let, let's get that out of our, our, our kind of like vocabulary, right? We can't, we can't say crime is up because we don't know that, right? Period, right? All we know is we can track arrest rates. We can track incarceration rates, neither of which actually is, can be used as a true indicator on whether or not a crime ever exists. And a part of why that is, is because of plea deals, right? 97% of plea deals at the federal level, or 97% of cases that get convicted at the federal level happen because of plea deals. And it's nearly, almost every state hovers around that 94% mark. Um, and so we know that most people who are actually convicted of felony con- or most people who actually face felony convictions actually spend time in prison because of plea deals. Um, this is actually particularly true for those who face, who are facing death penalties, right? And so in this case, because CJ Strauss' father was facing his third strike, he was facing a minimum of 25 to life. Um, it's not so, so I say all that to say, it's not surprising that CJ Strauss' dad took the plea deal in this particular case, right? Um, and you can look up these numbers, you know, Vera, shout out Vera Institute of Justice, right? Who's always publishing some very reliable data on these kinds of things. Um, but, but I say all that to say, you know, part of what I think you hear in CJ's kind of frustration is just thinking about all these kinds of logistical kind of nightmares, right? That really results in his dad going to prison. Uh, and he's, I, I think the, the last updates was that he's facing 38 years. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, so again, you know, he's not in there quote unquote for life, but I think he's set to come out at somewhere around his seventies and, you know, that might as well, right. That, you know, ultimately most people are going to tell you nobody should be judged by the worst decision of their life. And, uh, that that seems like a lot of time for in this particular case. Well, I want to get to this plea deal because I think one of the things that's also overlapping with it is that he takes this plea deal because, you know, CJ Stroud is not a, who's 13. The, the quarterback is 13 at this time. He's not CJ Stroud, the number two pick in the draft. Right. And one of the reasons that so many people take plea deals is not because they, um, you know, they're facing these ridiculous odds. It's also because they can't afford the kind of quality representation that would allow them to not necessarily beat this, but to figure out a way that can mitigate a certain kind of punishment, but does not keep someone in jail for 30, for 38 years. Right. And I think that when I think what I'm hearing in his frustration as a son is that like, man, you know, this is a slip into an addiction, right. That led to this, this terrible moment. But that hadn't, you know, and he's got these things that he had done when 20 years prior. Right. And so this gap. Right. What do we do? You get the chance to try to live your life. Right. And do you make a mistake? Right. And and I think there's a level of frustration. If we're reading between the lines, some of that frustration is also just about the circumstances and situations that is prison. But I think it's also a personal frustration that now he has the means to like if this situation happens in 2023, he can hire a lawyer that can allow for these arguments to be made and the hopes that he doesn't get 38 years. Right. 
Um, but now there's nothing he can do because of this 38 year because of the plea deal, and he's in 38 years. And a lot of times that that one of the things with the three strikes is that you cannot get early release either, right? I believe that's part of that's like a big part of the the stipulations around three strikes, at least in a lot of states. And so you know, there's do- definitely I think you know uh, an entryway into his kind of own personal testimony, right? I think which is very valuable and, and, and kind of illuminating for us to see these high profile athletes are also have very real problems that they, you know, circumstances that they come from, but also a way of illuminating the larger kind of structural issues about plea deals and third strikes and these kind of issues that have been plaguing uh, the criminal justice system and fuel mass incarceration here uh, in the United States. Yeah. That was actually oh, pretty good. Yeah. That was actually pretty really good. That's really good. Sometimes you got like, yo, that was good. That was yeah, good. yeah. I was at that. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have <laughs> celebrated like that. That was that was really good. Uh, but but you know, Coral, my question to you is like, so we know that the California three strikes law comes out in 90, 1994. Can you walk our listeners through that moment? So why is it that a number of states are passing three strikes laws? Um, and I know 94 just also happens to be the year that we lose federal sport, uh, support for your favorite program, Midnight Basketball. Um, right. So, so can you walk our listeners through that? Like why, what's the, what's going on in this nation? Oh my gosh. Almost 30 years ago where these states are like, let's just pass this ridiculous three sides. Cause, and plus a lot of the stories we're hearing is like, oh, this guy steals a CD and now he's getting life. Right. Whereas, so what's what what is going on? Like why is everyone trying to out criminalize everyone else? Yeah, so I'm not gonna take the the midnight basketball bait that you throw out there for me, look, but um, <laughs> uh but um but 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 I will say, right, ninety four you know, like or that that kind of late eighties, early nineties moment, right? We see, you know, to your point, we see all these states really become active on, you know, trying to out tough each other in criminal policies, right? So you see a rise of kind of legislation that is going to kind of extend prison sentences for lots of people um, for crimes that prior to this moment, you just weren't seeing in the same kind of way. Um, There are people that, you know, there are plenty of historians, right, that you can kind of, and scholars that write about this era that you can kind of dive into their research. But I mean, you know, this is happening on at, at two levels, right? It's happening at the federal level. And you're starting to see kind of politicians realize that, you know, in order to win any national seat, you have to be tough on crime. Um, and, and this was one way for them to double down on in that era. Um, you know, again, a part of this is kind of this hysteria that's growing out of the war on drugs, right? Um, right. Uh, so, you, you have to think about, as I just was mentioning, how I'm always yelling at my students, how you can't measure crime. If you picked up any newspaper in the late, in the early 90s, they would tell you otherwise, right? They would tell you that crime was running rampant in the streets everywhere, right? That the war on drugs was coming to get your kill, to get your children. And I don't want to like belittle this the, the situation around drugs, right? Because I, I do think there was a serious kind of issue around drugs. But again, drugs were always something that we decided in that era as a nation that we were going to criminalize and not necessarily work to rehabilitate, right? And I know, um, you know, depending on who uh is using what drug at any given time we know that narrative kind of has swung back and forth uh throughout history right you know when it's typically happening in rural communities with certain things we are quick to think about kind of what kind of you know 
medical response or public health response can we have to a drug problem? In this particular era, we see a very punitive response coming down from the criminal justice system around a lot of these drug issues. Um, and so, so three strikes is coming up in that period. But what's, you know, I think it's important for listeners to realize, you know, and I think we kind of wrapped about this a little bit before, um, was that many of these three strike laws are still on the book in a lot of states, right? Like there are still states that have the three strikes laws. Um, and some of them are, you know, the, the bluest of blues that you'll never have to worry about in any election. A lot of them are those purple states that play in these kind of swing state, you know, election time. And some of them are, you know, the, the, pe- the, the super red states that you might imagine have them. But, it, but it's everything in between. And I think it's important to remember that um, when thinking about this kind of criminal policies or these types of criminal policies that, that have this kind of impact. And so, again, we're talking about it in relation to C.J. Stroud, but this has so much, you know, such larger ramifications that this is why it's exciting that C.J., with the platform that he has, uh, is speaking to it. Hey, Lou, I got, I, got, I got a question for you, right? So so given that C.J. Stroud has taken this stance as a, as in his, like, what, seventh game as a quarter, <laughs> starting quarterback in the NFL, like, have we, you know, uh, have we ever seen uh, a black quarterback take a, a stand on an issue? This I would argue this is a very controversial issue, even though it's rooted in his own kind of personal testimony because it's his father. This is a very, you know, the, like you said, Carl, that the, the tagline was that the prison system was corrupt and that was what running was, was running on Fox News that, you know, what kind of risk is he taking as a um, as a young quarterback, as a rookie? Um, and but what does this also tell us about the state of the league um, beyond uh, four black quarterbacks? Right. Because there's something to be said that there that he feels comfortable enough to even say this. Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. So and I think in general, quarterbacks don't say anything. Right. Like because that's their leadership. Right. So there's very few like Jack Kemp you know, old Buffalo Bills quarterback went on to get into politics. Um, Tom Brady had his, uh, his MAGA hat and, yeah. he, and, and it's never really had to answer for that again. And then there's like Aaron Rodgers, right. Mm-hmm. Who, who I think he comes off as he tries to come off as apolitical, but let's be clear. We know, we know who he is. Right. And he gets away with it. And then there's cap, right. Uh, mm-hmm. As Carl brought up and he's probably, if I'm thinking about it, we're talking about like political, political, not just like, hey, get out and vote, like yeah. politics, right? He's probably the first black quarterback I could think of who 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 stepped out on a line and said something. And to be clear, he's out of the league because he did that, right? right? Like that's that's and and that's like there's remember I remember there's that famous picture with him and Cam Newton that year, um, and and you know the the. The position that they're in, the juxtaposition of Cam Newton and, and Kaepernick, right? Cam's not saying anything. Kaepernick is, and you can just see that anger in Cap. I think in in that in that uh, you know in that photo uh, because nobody nobody had his back. So C.J. Stroud in his rookie year saying something, feeling like he can say something, I think lets us know the temperature has changed a bit. It doesn't mean he's not going to get backlash, right? Because there's a, there's another quarterback that was in Texas who had an opportunity to speak up during that BLM stuff and Dak didn't really say anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. this, and this was an opportunity where I, I think you had the chance to say something. And it was, right? and, and it was low stakes because it was the easiest low thing. Stakes. To say. Yeah. Low, low stakes. stakes right? Easiest Just, thing. And he wound right. up giving, I think he'd give money to both sides or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Like you said, so I writ, wrote something about it from another website where I don't own my stuff anymore, so I won't, you know, pump that up. Um, uh, but, but you know, Dak doesn't say anything, and that's Dak's right not to, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't have to. But then I think 2020, when black athlete, black football players came out and said Black Lives Matter, and you have someone like a Patrick Mahomes on the video, and 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 I think pre. Um, what's my man's name? Uh, he's not my man, by the way. Pre uh, Cleveland Browns uh, quarterback, what is it? He's not my man. I stand for Deshaun Watson. You said that. Even, I don't even sign him up on uh, fantasy draft. Like, like I don't even. I don't touch him. I don't put none of his cards. I collect the football cards. I put none of his cards in there. Um. <laughs> but even he, I believe he's on that video. And so these black quarterbacks are there. The NFL winds up, I think, kind of sort of proud, apologizes to Kaepernick. But everything just dies away, right? Like, we, you know, we vote in 2020. You know, like guys like um, uh, Mahomes opens up stadiums so people can vote. And then we're moving on, right? Mm-hmm. And now I think C.J. Stroud is is in a position to to change, to make a change. And to me, what's going to be interesting is if he continues to say something. Or somebody's already got to him, right? Or, or maybe that's just enough for him. Like it's one time, and as you said, as Carl said, Fox tweeted it out. The next thing, the hardest thing, is to continue all this stuff when you're all by yourself, because you're always going to be all by yourself when you're that guy, yeah. right? Cap was all by himself. He never really had a lot of support. I mean, he had Eric Reed. But for the most part, I mean, there's a thousand guys in the NFL. You're all by yourself, right? Kurt Flood was all by himself, right? Mm-hmm. There's very few people who who have your back when 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 you're doing this kind of stuff. And then there's those other people who get in your ear. Ownership, coaches, somebody, your manager, your your agent, who's like, man, yeah. we, we might be listening, losing money here. So it's going to be real interesting to see if he continues to do this. I think he has an end to continue to do this because his dad is incarcerated, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Cap is like on the, you know, Cap's people's are his, nobody in his family's dealing with the police system, you know, but CJ Stroud for the rest of his NFL career. Yeah. His dad's going to be in prison. Right. So, so I don't think it goes away. And I think that's his, that's always going to be in his end. You don't want, you don't want me to talk about my, my incarcerated dad. And my guess too, is there's a number of players who probably who parents or relatives have faced incarceration. And maybe this becomes another step, right? Like, so post Kaepernick, um, I know some of the guys did that, uh, uh, like McCordy and, um, What's his name? Who went to Ohio State? Um, oh, the 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 the, the free safety, the free safety. I know you're talking about, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they did that cash bail thing, right? Like yeah. they that was that was their moment, the Players Alliance. That was their moment, yeah. right? So they're still doing the criminal justice system, and so maybe this is another opportunity, a part two to to grow it. And and if it is, if there's anyone listening, get with my guy. This is my real guy, not the show. I said, but but Carl Sudler. How bring them in? How we talk to you guys about the the criminal justice system? Uh, to you know, for my money, there's nobody better, right, to talk about it. So if you want to talk about abolition, or you want to talk about you know like cash bail, or you want to talk about anything, and we've been talking about plea deals, you know, bring Carl in and and let him talk to your athletes um, about this. So so you guys have like ammunition, and and you guys can to um, 
take this on head on because to me it's a very it's a very important issue like it is the one of the issues now i know there's stuff going on across the globe but but you know the criminal justice system hits home for for a lot of folks and i think what cj stroud did was very bold and very brave and and i hope he continues to speak up because now look what we did oh let's i thought three strikes was gone in california it's not (laughs) gone in california right it's not gone in all these other places He's highlighting, oh, I saw this documentary about, you know, prisons in Mississippi. Now, young kids are looking this up, right? I bet you the other quarterbacks, the other four or five-star quarterbacks are, are, you know, are looking this up too. Uh, so he has an opportunity to make a huge impact. Uh, and we'll see uh, what happens. Because if he doesn't get touched, if if he's allowed to continue to speak, which I think he should because it's his father, other people are watching. And I think, other people should step into that, lean into that, and, and really support him. Yeah. So, so Lou, you said a bunch of things there that um, that 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 really make me think, right? And and this isn't me trying to shamefully plug a book that I'm working on, neither, right? Plug, but, but um, plug away. This but, is a plug, Joe. Well. This is a plug. Yeah, yeah. I was, was gonna plug, plug it. it. I was gonna um, plug it, but I didn't want to get you in trouble. But go no, ahead. no, no. Oh. But 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 what are but one of the things that I I find right, and I, I have a chapter in the book. That, that looks at this kind of era of big punishment, right? And really thinks about how black athletes themselves navigated that period that we're talking about where we see these kinds of laws hit the books. Um, you know, because it is an era in which, you know, black folks were getting arrested at at astronomical numbers, right? Like it was absurd, right? And so it's so it's impossible for us to think about athletes not being impacted by that right we, we, we as, as as people who do you know sports history are always like sports is a microcosm of society right so we're talking about how black people live in society you can't not talk about these types of legislations impacting it when these types of legislations are impacting day-to-day black folks right and so so i think it's always important for us to keep that in mind and i think what cj's experience in particular is lending to us in this moment is that even though he's not of a generation that grew up in that era, he's a kid of a parent who grew up in that era, right? Um, and and I think I think it's gonna be I think I think I, I, maybe not think, but I hope that athletes will continue to kind of to to use their personal to kind of drive it, right? Because I do think that's the it's gonna be tough for people to tell CJ you can't talk about these things like you said because this is your dad, right? Um, mm-hmm. But CJ isn't the first athlete, black athlete, who's had a parent incarcerated, who's had a sibling incarcerated, right? Um, but because he's, you know, doing, you, because he's bringing this kind of attention to it, it can literally light a fire in that generation of athlete who experienced that previous generation, right? Their parents' generation uh, lived through this moment in which so many black people found themselves. Uh, for the first time find, uh, in the criminal justice system, right? And so it can very well be a wildfire, right? Um, I know CJ did mention in his comments that he is working with people um, and reform. And so I hope that he does have uh, some folks that are in his corner um, giving him the, the right kinds of, you know, talking points, right? To not, to not try to light a kind of different kind of fire for, for lack of a better term. Um you know, but but you know, also to your point, CJ, if you're listening, I am down to have a conversation with you as well. Um, happy to do it because uh, I, I I am you know when I saw it, uh, I tweeted it right away. Um, 
you know, and, 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 and it was one of those moments where I, w- I was so proud of his and of, of his boldness to kind of put himself out there, you know, on that day where he, all eyes were on him. Um, and, 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 and I think, I, I think what also is missing if, in this, this will, I think I'll, I'm going to pull you in here, Derek, for a quick second. If y'all remember when CJ was getting drafted and we, all we were talking about was his testing, when he said, I don't do, you know, I don't take tests. Y'all remember when all the talk around CJ's draft stock plummeting because of how he was taking tests or something? No? Mm. Y'all don't remember? Oh, I, I, oh I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I know. I, I actually, I try to avoid, you know, we talk about the draft and then I try to avoid all the draft talk because I find that it is the most, um, demeaning kind of conversations that we could have about humans and, 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 and the way that, the way they talk about it. So it was a, it was a cognitive test, right? The S2 yeah, test, the yeah, S, yeah. the S that you can look it up on sports illustrator. Right. Yeah. And, and it was all about the quarterback score. They didn't ultimately yeah. the draft position all uh, because the of the he didn't, he didn't take, yeah. Right. 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 Um, and so, and everybody was, yeah. So, so, so the re- the reason I bring that up, right, is because we're talking, we're highlighting somebody like Josh Dobbs's intellect. What I saw on that platform that day was a kind of intellect that that S two test was never going to be able to capture, right? And that boldness and his ability to stand up there and speak to that, it, it actually shows how much lived experience actually can drive uh, a type of knowledge and and what he's able to do. With it. Can I, can I bring in something else before we get out of here? Because we're, we're almost out of time. But, you know, I also think that it's important to note that when his father is arrested in 2015, we're still just after this Trayvon Martin moment, right? When Trayvon Martin is, is, is murdered in 2012, I believe the, the, the Zimmerman's found not guilty in 2014, right? So you can imagine this young person who's going through, who's watching this, right? Because he's at the time, he's 10, 11, 12. It was, that was not... I mean, we were having that conversation with young people of that age in particular because, you know, Trayvon Martin was that age. Right. And so you would have to have this, you know, parent to kid conversation about how you dress, how you carry yourself in the world. Um, but in the in the immediate aftermath, I'm thinking here about our, our friend and colleague, Howard Bryant's the, the Heritage. Right. He talks about how we've had this ebb and flow where athletes from beginning in Jackie Robinson's day have have often used that platform in a very kind of assertive way. Uh, and then we get to the 80s and we get the pitch man, right? We get the OJ Simpsons of the 70s with the Michael Jordans who are who are who are staying away. Magic Johnson staying away from these hot button issues. And then we see it come back um, beginning with really with Trayvon Martin and all the athletes that, you know, hands up, don't shoot in my ground. And then that then, of course, folds into um, 2020 when we get to George Floyd and, you know, some of the great work that you two have already written about. And so I imagine that, that, you know, not only is his own personal experience, but he's also coming to the fore as a quarterback in that wave, right? In that uptick where Dak Prescott is actually the odd man out, right? Like in some sense, like there's Cap. I mean, you know, you ain't got to say a lot, right? Cap is a, is a, a very strong stance, but, the, but there was a lot of people taking stands. Like you talked about the Players Alliance, right? That Cap and the Players Alliance were not aligned, but like, the Players Alliance are taking on cash bail, right? Like there, there are real live opportunities of leadership from um, from athletes that he's been able to witness and watch uh, as he's come of age in this position. And so, it's it, to me, I think one of the things I wanted for us to think about. And I don't know the answer. Is this an individual question where, because of his own personal circumstance, he's invested into this project? 
But is part of that investment not just an individual kind of this is my lived experience, but also a him choosing to say something on the on at the immediate aftermath of his best day as a pro, right? He's in the and right now he's in the NFL record book as <laughs> as of today, right? And he's taking that record-breaking performance instead of just saying, you know, I want to thank my teammates and the coaches for believing me that I want to talk about this particular issue. That is a, you know, that is very much a byproduct of this moment, right? This, this 12, 10, 12 year moment that has watched him come from a preteen into the second pick in the NFL draft. And we as faculty members have seen our students kind of come of age in that way that they came in when I, when I went to Dartmouth, in 2014, those students were hot. Like they were just, cause they were living in that moment, right? They're living in Trayvon Martin. They're living with Mike Brown. They're living with Sandra Blanton. Like they're living in that particular moment. And that kind of fueled a kind of activism that at some level kind of tapers off. And then George Floyd, of course, then makes it, we see all this activism again. So I actually want us to think a little bit about um, going forward as we, as we look forward his, his, his kind of continued conversation on this particular issue to really think, you know, I, I hope we got some intrepid reporters, somebody who's done the, on the Houston beat to ask them these kind of questions of what's what's, you know, what kinds of uh, reading materials, what has inspired him to say something. Right. Because I think there's a lot of things that that we as uh, as scholars, as observers are really interested in trying to see um, how he got to this and, and, and the kind of courage that it took to, to use that to, to use that moment to speak on. Uh, his father's incarceration and the and the and the horrors of the criminal justice system. To... Oh, that's another good one. Like that's a... <laughs> that was a follow up. Yeah, that's that was that's man. You're on a roll, man. Jeez, I actually had to teach this semester. That's what that is. This is teach. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's it right there. Um, are we? We're at forty five. Carl, do you have anything to add, or is this? Derek just hit it out the park and just no I, I I think Derek did add the, the the cherry on top there right I do think you know this is a generation of athletes right who came up in that moment um you know when you were bring, talking about Trayvon in 2012 right uh, you know Mike Brown 2014 Tamir Rice was 2014 right like I mean like like the names are are, are endless right <laughs> in that period in which you know um in, in which we were kind of you know, in, in many ways, oversaturated time and time again. And this is also the social media age, right? In terms of their generation of, you know, they came up where this kind of constant news cycle, right? They're seeing these things readily, um, you know, and, and so I do think, you know, it'll be something interesting to watch these young athletes come into the league with this at, the, at their backdrop. Uh, and, you know, again, if our if our students are any indication of what the kind of college student heading into the professional leagues is going to be like, you know, we should be excited for more C.J. Stroud kind of moments, um, not just from C.J., um, but those who, you know, are going to be bold enough to kind of take those stances. Um, and so I do think, you know, we should definitely put our support behind C.J. Um, and know that he had, you know, make sure that he knows that he has people who are going to be cheering as loud as we can for him. Um, as he kind of builds himself into that into this space um, as somebody who who speaks on these issues, um, because, you know, like you've mentioned, Lou, it's a, it, it can be a lonely world, um, but it's only lonely when you kind of at times looking around the people around you. Right. Because it's not lonely when you when you realize that, that there is a community of, of folks who care about this stuff um, in ways that CJ does. 
um, who he can very well ground himself with, who I'm sure will be really excited to kind of work with him as well, especially in Houston. Yeah. Well, with that, Lulu, yeah. Lulu no. take us out of here because you got the new book, the, the most recent ah, book deal. That's right. That's right. Great Black Hope. All right. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be back sooner. I promise. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Peace.